Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Pete the Retailer. And today we're talking about Minute 54. 54 begins with an exterior shot of the processing station. And it ends with Apone assigning Hudson to take point. Yeah, and Pete, the retailer, is back with us again. Thanks for coming on again, Pete. Sure, thanks for having me. This has been fun. And uh, also back with us again today is our friend Kevin Marr. Hi, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back again. If you missed yesterday's episode, we're going to probably talk more about uh, Vietnam and the movies in science fiction <laughs> parables. <laughs> we wouldn't want uh, to do it any other way. That sounds like yeah. a wonderful topic. Um, all right, so we're we got the APC rolling rolling on down the road here on LV four twenty six, and we cut to this lovely lovely shot uh, aerial shot of it entering the atmospheric processor. I, this is a beautiful shot, guys. I'm not uh, I'm not even exaggerating. I think this is a really amazing model shot of this facility. Um, which is a Ron Cobb design. I always want to name drop Ron Cobb when we can. As far as the as people doing you know pre production design work for the Alien franchise, this is kind of my main man. I think most of the things I like best about the Alien universe from a design standpoint were Ron Cobb ideas or him taking other ideas from Ridley Scott or James Cameron and uh, and and making them you know taking them to the next level. So you're going to be aware of this better than anybody that, that James Cameron's background includes doing matte paintings for escape from New York. He did some, you know, miniature designs for the science fiction film battle beyond the stars. So, you know, he, he has, I think a, a good understanding of like how to effectively use those just, you know, a, a few seconds here and there, just like a nice quick overhead shot. You get the miniature going in against this, this, wonderful looking background that's so detailed so he he understands how to use that really well he does he's his work with corman and carpenter definitely informed so much of what he is as a filmmaker and then his clear ability to learn from experience and improve upon um, maybe more conventional techniques and special effects uh really made him stand out early on because so much of what i mean the terminator you can't say enough about with its budget, what the Terminator was able to accomplish from an effects standpoint. And then Mitch and I talked, Mitch Bryan, who was my co-host for Alien Minute last season, you know, it was on a few weeks earlier uh, in Aliens. And we talked about the fact that like his choice, for instance, to not shoot this in scope, um, like Escape from New York was, was probably because he learned... Uh, that some of the effects don't work as well because there's some there's some shots in the, as much as I love Escape from New York there's a few shots in there where things just don't look right they look morphed and elongated and weird because of that wide frame that you get with CinemaScope so sure. uh, little things that James Cameron learned along the way from these other masters whether it be the master of the B movie Corman or the master of the elevated B movie John Carpenter. Um, he learned he learned a lot from those guys and took it to a, to a, the next level. Yeah, in general, this this I mean, probably the most in this minute because it's kind of the feature of it. But I was I've been noticing just how kind of seamless the the different effects kind of play into one another and the different styles of effects and you know miniature work with you know when I was obviously a kid you know none of this kind of you know it was completely invisible to me that it was all just like no no they just filmed this obviously on a on a alien planet and they had a giant uh, tank to drive around <laughs> and uh you know it just the fact that it's so you know none of it stands out as just like oh yeah that's fake um and you know it's 
combination of uh, different techniques and editing and everything that kind of combined to make it look just, uh, uh, you know, I said seamless already, but just, you know, the, the, it's like the, one of those things where it's like the effects are great if you don't notice them in a sense, you know, and if you, totally. if you know about it and you can go in and, and appreciate it, but if it's, you know, if it's just creating a completely believable world, then that's, you know, it's, it's accomplishing its job and it does a great job of that here. Yeah, I agree. This uh, so this model is is a six foot tall, you know, quote unquote miniature, and it to me, it, this is this shot kind of reminds me of something we might have seen in Blade Runner. You know, to me, Blade Runner stands uh, stands out as maybe the best model movie <laughs> ever made as far as building landscapes with models. I don't think anything beats it. And this one really could be you could you could show somebody this shot for a second and say, you know, this is from Blade Runner and you'd believe it. And part of that, you know, seamlessness that you're talking about, Pete, I think comes from the fact that these things always work a little better under dark conditions, you know, where you're not seeing the lines, you're not seeing um, the the artifice is a little bit shrouded by shadow, you know. So I think we're getting that here. And then getting like pulling away a little bit, you're obviously getting a very small model of the APC rolling into a model of a building. But man, it looks straight up real to me. And I, I think that this is a wonderful establishing shot for what we're about to move into um, when we get to the in- the interior shot. I agree that it looks great in these exterior shots, and especially that overhead that you called out. The one thing that just baffles me is it's um seeing the interior and then seeing the exterior it just reminds me of like snoopy's doghouse or oscar the grouch's can where it's like how how do they get so many people inside there it looks so spacious on the inside do you think do you think there's a scale problem with between like the apc we get so we get scale with the apc in the building in the in the like aerial shot right right so do you think the scale's off a little bit Later on in the minute, when people step outside of it and stand in front of oh, it, oh, I see. Okay, it's like yeah. okay, so it's it's six feet tall, but it just when they're inside and they're seated, it looks so roomy. I mean, sure. maybe it's just a triumph of uh, triumph of design for the for the vehicle. Well, maybe they're yeah, they're using the uh, the interior cameras are the same ones that they use for like game shows and uh, you know like late night yeah, fisheye lens and make it look. Like a, a, a relatively small audience is a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so the APC enters, we're going to get the entry and um, into the facility here. I guess, actually, did we see that? Now I'm getting mixed up. Did we already see the shot from behind the APC as it's about to enter? Or is that after the aerial shot? I've kind of gotten mixed up. But nevertheless, let's talk after about the, the shot. After the, yeah, after the aerial is when we see it go into the access ramp. Right. Uh, Okay, so the this access, access ramp shot. Now, I saw Aliens pre-1989, but every time I see this, I'm immediately reminded, for some reason, of the Batmobile entering access chemicals in Tim Burton's Batman. And then I'm doubly reminded of that when we cut to the interior shot in this corridor. And as they're pulling up slowly you know, into this corridor where they just stop and, and um, depart the vehicle... It feels almost like the exact same set to me of the Batmobile zooming down the corridor, uh, you know, unleashing its cannons, uh, you know, its little machine guns and cutting an improbable, improbably cutting a doorway with the stationary machine guns uh, and then entering access chemicals where it then destroys the plant. 
I it might be the same set. Like I don't know if this even the similarity occurred to you guys at all, but I'll throw it out there. Like they're both shot on Pinewood Studios. Do you think this might be the exact same set? I don't know. Could be it's a really good question. I don't know. They, you know, it's only what is it? This was filming in eighty five, eighty six, mm-hmm. and then uh, Batman had to be only so. It's yeah, it's only a couple of years. They might have just still had at least you know, if not entirely the same set, just kind of chunks of it, basically. I mean, changes I, were made, but man, it feels so much the same. I gotta wonder yeah. if it's not pretty much. I mean, did you, did you guys? I, I haven't even you know you haven't even said do you. Either of you guys feel reminded of that moment? I don't even know how familiar you are with Batman, uh, the Tim Burton film, but uh, did that similarity occur to either of you? Not until you mentioned it, but it was one of those things, once you say it, I can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah, same here. That I, I just you know, I wouldn't have picked it out, but now you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. I was, was going to say, I think, I think some of the Batman Returns set might have been used in the movie Dark City, maybe some rooftops, um, which obviously is, you know, Batman and Batman Returns have radically different looks to them. But um, just when you got me thinking about shared sets with Batman, that was that was the first place my mind went. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, we've talked about shared sets from time to time on the show because so much of the Pinewood was used for so many different uh classic movies of that era you know a lot of people shot at pinewood you know between star wars and spielberg and kubrick and all these people would go out there and we talked about how there was this like kind of trifecta of um i'm trying to think of the order of it now i believe the um they use the 007 stage at pinewood that they used for um the space jockey in alien then the uh the Lobby and the Shining, and then the Well of Souls and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think that might be what we talked about. I can't remember, but all these shared sets are used, and Pinewood has that massive, you know, what they call the 007 stage. So it's highly likely that it was the same set, but I, like, really to me, it was more just like I can't divorce those two moments. I even went back and looked at the Batman scene because for some reason I was remembering the Batmobile having to move something out of the way to go through the door as well. But I was totally thinking about this movie. So I don't know. Uh, Anyway, probably didn't need to talk this much about it, but that, uh, that entry into the facility really reminds me a lot of Batman or the other way around, I guess. Well, you know what the, uh, the, the vehicle reminds me of right off the bat is uh, (laughs) the Landmaster from damnation alley. (laughs) <laughs> which which Pete will remember as one of the summer of 1977 movies that got blown out of the water by Star Wars. That's right. <laughs> See, it got so blown out of the water, I guess I don't even, I've never even seen it. I don't even know what that is. I, I feel like I've heard the name, but that's about it. If you Google Landmaster or Damnation Alley Landmaster, you'll see this big kind of pointy looking thing. It's It's like a souped up RV. And it had a second life in a Saturday morning show. I think it was a Saturday morning show called The Ark 2. And the last TV appearance that the Landmaster ever made, to the best of my knowledge, is a great episode of the TV show Get a Life, the show where Chris Elliott is a paper boy, where right. all the paper boys are about to lose their jobs because they're being replaced by Paperboy 2000, oh. which is a futuristic, futuristic robotic paper newspaper delivery system. And, uh, of course... Chris Peterson goes mano a mano where he's going to battle Paperboy 2000. Um, and it's, it's, uh, 
it's it's re- just really funny that the the show would think, can we get the landmaster? <laughs> such a such a specific like B movie reference. Well, I got to say, 180 so episodes into the Alien Minute, and you, f- you finally brought up Get a Life. I <laughs> can't believe that it took this long to talk about the classic Chris Elliott sitcom Get a Life. Well, thank you. At, at the very least, I mean, you've brought a lot of good stuff to the show, but that's this this is probably the big one. Finally, <laughs> finally mentioning Get a Life on Alien Minute. I'm, All right. So, well, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I was going to ask more about the Landmaster. <laughs> was it cre- it was created for Damnation Alley, right? But and then it was all just Yeah, it was created for the movie and there's two of them. One is being driven by George Papard, the other is being driven by Jan Michael Vincent. <sighs> and uh I think the Landmaster also has room for a motorcycle cuz occasionally Jan Michael Vincent goes off on his own, goes rogue on his motorcycle. <laughs> Actually no, I think I'm misremembering that. I think they pick up a motorcycle elsewhere on one of their adventures. Well, it sounds like uh, I need I to see I this movie. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, I don't think anyone needs to seek it out. Um, I think we're living in an era where it's like, oh, well, it's out on Blu-ray. It's like there was a time when like Blu-ray was reserved for like very good movies that demand the best possible presentation. And now like, you know, Mac and Me is put out on Blu-ray. Right. You know, it's just like everything's on Blu-ray. I know Shout Factory put Damnation Alley out on Blu-ray, so maybe if you're going to see it, that's the way to see it. But, well, that's exactly what I was about to say. I was going to say I bet Shout Factory has one, and you know, with Shout Factory, you at least get that great artwork, and you get some supplemental materials that make it worthwhile, even if the movie's not so great. But they do have a pretty sweet uh, DVD cover on the on the Blu-ray for Damnation Alley, and um, oh yeah. Look at this. It's on sale right now. I, I don't want to be endorsing or selling anything for a movie I'm telling people not to watch. <laughs> but if you insist, you can get the Blu-ray for $19.99. There you oh, go. well. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to... So the, the APC is parked, and we're going to get... Uh, the Marines are going to debark and get into this V formation that they're ordered to get into by Corman, who once again is uh you know sitting behind the the panel of his control station barking orders and all by the book and uh we even get a little bit more um kind of an elevation of his gamer commander status because he starts to get into the techno babble a little bit <laughs> uh, more so than even before what is he telling them to do to could did either of you like pull out this this line of uh instruction or is he telling them what he's going to do i can't tell is this with the quite. game yeah the 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 what is it the gain yeah it's, all i have written down is the gain but yeah the v gain to adjust your v gain to filter out ambient rf i think yeah it was is it rf gain is that what he says or RF, filter out the rf yeah, atmospheric he, or something is that what he's saying i think he's filtering the v gain to uh, or set the V gain to filter out ambient RF or atmospheric RF. So there's there must That's be it. ambient electromagnetic interference. And I'm assuming that they're adjusting their video gain maybe from their from their body cams. So they're cranking up kind of the video signal to <laughs> account for this ambient uh, RF kind of radiation signal. <laughs> All right. Well. Let's see. What else? You guys have any more notes for this minute? Um, 
let me take a look here. We've got the sublevel feels very video gamey. Um, I wrote down a quote I read in a book that war is the male equivalent of childbirth, and I think it. <laughs> It, well, it's interesting that this is a movie where yeah. motherhood is such a key theme and the idea of, of Ripley as this action heroine and uh, reclaiming her status as a mother figure and that men go through their version of, of war stuff. Um, and again, you know, just the, uh, the, the parallels of, of um, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys move, know the movie Dog Soldiers. It's, um, it's a really fun Neil Marshall movie with these werewolves. Um, but it's soldiers fighting werewolves. And he says in the promotional materials, it's not a werewolf movie. It's a soldier movie with werewolves. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's the thing. It's like it's, a, it's, it's very much a, a war movie with aliens. And um, just how you, you do get a lot of the kind of Vietnam themes that would, would become so predominant in a lot of the narratives that were being told in movies about like, you know, you can't trust the leadership. You can't trust Gorman. You can't trust the company. The flamethrowers feel very Vietnam. You know, a lot of the guerrilla warfare that we're seeing is all very Vietnam. I also wonder if Gorman is supposed to sound like Corman. That never occurred to me until you brought up Roger Corman. <laughs> well, there's the there's Gorman's like sounds like Corman, and then of course there's the word Gormless that we've talked about. How there can't be any accident to. You know, Gormless being you know defined as like incompetent or uh, without a clue, you know. Oh, so yeah. there's that. Uh, I might be off on the definition slightly, but that's the basic idea. But yeah, we've talked about that. We haven't done the Corman like correlation. I mean, because there's the Corman, I guess. You know, that is a, um, a term for someone in the Marine Corps. But uh, Rod, the Roger Corman thing. But I don't think he would. I don't think James Cameron would refer to Roger Corman or as being incompetent in any way or anything. I think everybody always seems to have the utmost respect for him that ever worked for him. But yeah, um, yeah. Though that's interesting that you point that out. But yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I, those themes that you discussed there, those war themes. I mean, we've talked about this being a war movie, but that idea of it um, representing some sort of like male. I, I don't know if. It, you're really saying like a male ritual that men have to go through, you know, as a rebirth or whatever. And maybe I'm misreading what you were saying, but yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what it, what it was uh, coming out from, from this book I was reading about. Um, I was just, I was just flipping through in preparation, a book called from Hanoi to Hollywood. And it's um, about different Vietnam movies. And it talks about, um, I guess there was some media coverage of when they, when they first debuted the the statue of the Vietnam soldiers and the guy brought his like four year old son and he was holding them up for the cameras and, and somebody remarked that it, it kind of looked like a childbirth scene that the child was coming out of the legs of the soldiers and how that mm -hmm. uh, war is, is this like male equivalent of childbirth and the, the rite of passage and the ritual. And that like, this is how you go from being a boy to being a man. This is how you go from being a girl to being a grown woman. You've, you've given life and I guess in war you've uh, taken life. So it's a whole life cycle right there. Well, I like it. That's a good, that's a good reading. I, I might have to check that book out. Um, Hanoi to Hollywood. Okay. And then dog soldiers has been mentioned on the show before, but I still haven't seen it. Uh, do you know, do you happen to know if there's a Blu-ray release? I'm going to look it up for you right now. I would highly recommend dog soldiers. And that's definitely a movie that's borrowing, you know, it's standing on the shoulders of aliens. Um, but it's a, a really good low budget, um, really good low budget, but effective uh, 
werewolf movie, even though the, the filmmakers explicitly say it is not a werewolf movie with soldiers. It is a soldier movie with werewolves. And from what I understand, it's it was supposed to be part of a trilogy about this one soldier who was kind of the John McClane of monster movies who kept finding himself in all these situations where in the one movie he's, he's fighting werewolves. I don't know what the other two movies were going to be. They never got made. And yes, the Dog Soldiers Special Collector's Edition is available again through ShoutFactory.com. I hope <laughs> ShoutFactory, uh, for all the shout-outs we're giving them, I hope they send you some complimentary Blu-rays of Dog Soldiers and Damnation Alley, which we've both mentioned on today's episode. Um, but if they don't, you can buy Dog Soldiers for the low price of twenty-one ninety-five, which is cheaper than the list price you'd see elsewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Our special Shout Factory correspondent, Kevin yeah, Shout Factory. Today's Shout Factory <laughs> shout-out is brought to you by Shout Factory. Who else would it be? What, do you think Arrow Films is going to sponsor this? Come on. Yeah, I think I, I think I might send these episodes over there to Shout Factory, and, and um, yeah, maybe that would uh, maybe that would get us a couple of free copies of those Blu-rays. We'll see. I'll let you know. Yeah, my last note for this minute is simply that Apone, you know, we end this minute with Apone telling Hudson to take point. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you guys, is this a good idea at all? Is Hudson taking point ever a good idea? <laughs> I think I'll assume that that's only because he's got the motion detector and he's he's basically the navigator. Like once they once they encounter something, somebody else will take over. But right. he's basically just kind of the uh the um not the canary in the coal mine but something like that you know he's just kind of the lead uh, <laughs> uh, you know he's out there to find the way and then you know i, I don't think he's uh he's going to be the one uh taking point in the in the group sense he's not going to be telling people what to do he's just gonna telling them where to go right i mean to me my order would be um drake or vasquez take point hudson hide behind them with the right. motion tractor and because that's kind of what we saw happen earlier. We had Drake take point and Frost stay right on him with the motion tracker when they um, came to find Newt. Right. So the, that seems like a better idea. I just kind of feel like this was kind of a throw. There's a few times in this movie where you get kind of throwaway ADR lines that don't actually make sense and that you would only notice doing this granular analysis of the movie. But um, it stuck out to me because it came right at the end of this minute. I was like, no, 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 no. Hudson is not the man to be taking point at any, at any juncture. So um, it's the first, confused. it's Apone's first mistake. Maybe could be getting them confused. You know, Hudson, her, Hudson, sir, he's Hicks. Maybe he meant to, <laughs> right. to say Hicks. Hicks well, he does tell, you know, not to jump ahead to the next minute, but he does tell Hicks to watch their tails. Right. Oh. So maybe he actually meant Hudson, you get behind back there <laughs> to stay in the back. With, say in the back there with Newton, yeah, everybody. No, but yeah. Uh, anyway, that was like my that last note. He calls him little buddy, though. That's that's a, <laughs> a weird <laughs> wrinkle. That he's, he calls Hudson little buddy. <laughs> little buddy. It's a little uh, uh, throwback to the Gilligan's Island. Perhaps they have kind of right. a because they do ha kind of have a Skipper and Gilligan sort of relationship, as we saw earlier in the movie. So. Yeah, just uh, never hits him with his hat. I just wish that would happen one time. That would have been good. It's a helmet. It's, it's much, much more damaging. <laughs> it's like actually knocks him unconscious. Yeah. Like that's why they had to stop doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, 
Kevin, we know uh, we can find you at uh, lovekevin.com uh, where you, we can see links to many, many of the things you do. You want to remind everybody where they can find you, else, uh, where else they can find you online? Yeah, if you go to Twitter, it's at Kevin Geeks Out, where I will have updates about all the latest Kevin Geeks Out shows that we do at the Alamo Draft House uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, also doing shows at Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn. And uh, starting this fall, I'm about to uh, return to the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers, where we're going to be doing an encore of Kevin Geeks Out about Stephen King. We're going to be doing a show on Friday, October 13th. I'm so excited to do an October Halloween show, but also that it's Friday the 13th. It's about Stephen King. It's going to have some of my favorite Stephen King bits that we've done at previous shows, as well as some new stuff. So people can definitely uh, follow me on Twitter. You'll get all the updates about all the shows happening each month, as well as some video essays or some uh, links to podcasts I'm appearing on, like this one that you're listening to right now. Yeah, Man, yeah. that that Stephen King show sounds almost like the premise to a Stephen King mm-hmm. novel, or maybe a Richard Bachman <laughs> novel. One of the lower, maybe one of those pen name ones. But man, the confluence of all those events, boy, you might, something might happen. So. Uh, stay frosty over there. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I highly recommend if anybody's uh, if anybody in earshot is uh, you know in the New York area that they uh, they check out a Kevin Geeks Out show because I've uh, they're quite especially if you were you know the type of uh, the type of person who's enjoyed uh, the last two episodes and all this talk about you know uh, Damnation Alley and uh, and Dog Soldiers and stuff like that. It's it, it's totally. Um, it's good for movie geeks and and just kind of people in general, um, and <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. It's like a video variety show, kind of delving into different stuff. It's, yeah, we have guest speakers at each show. It's not just Kevin geeking out. We have right, different yeah. people come on. Pete's done the show a couple of times. Um, Alex from Star Wars Minute um, has also uh, done a show with us, and um, we always get some really interesting, uh, unusual perspectives beyond anything I would have observed. I mean, it's very similar to what you do on a podcast. You have the different people come on who are going to bring in a unique perspective that is different from what your eyeballs are detecting. So that's always a a nice part of the process. Great. Well, um, Pete, you want to remind everybody where they can find you again? Sure. You can uh, usually find me at StarWarsMinute.com. We're we're on hiatus there, but we're still releasing the occasional hiatus episode. and then uh, we're doing ABC Devo uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So abcdevo.com, ABC Devo on Twitter. Um, and I'm Pete the Retailer on Twitter. So I'll usually retweet. I'm, I'm not as diligent as I should be, but I'll usually retweet when we have live episodes and stuff like that. Great. All right. Well, you can find us at alienminute.com on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast, on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. Um, come over to our T public page if you want to check out some of our t-shirt designs. And also we have a digital tip jar on the website page. If you got a couple of bucks laying around and you like the show enough to give us a little money and help us pay the bills, that would be greatly appreciated. It really helps out. Thanks to everyone who has done so. We, uh, we highly appreciate it over here at Alien Minute. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Minute 54. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 55.